Good morning. morning. Please open to Acts chapter 15. Imagine if the gospel was 90% believing in Jesus and 10% keeping the law. That 10% would have to be perfect. Uh, Maybe we, we were given one of the Ten Commandments to keep, say, Uh, you shall not murder. But we know that Jesus says that if you're angry with your brother in your heart, that that's the same as murder. It'd be impossible. Praise the Lord that the gospel is 100% believing in Jesus. Now, read with me, please, Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 4. This is speaking of Paul and Barnabas. And when they had come to Jerusalem... They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. These are, this is coming from within the church. These are not believers saying this. But this is not some nice teaching that maybe it's a little wrong, but it's not a big deal. This is uh, life or death here. This is either the gospel or it's not. This is heresy. And so you'll remember that we talked about this last week, how uh, critical this was, how it's like having poison in with the gospel message. And that's what the book of Galatians talks about. You see, we've reached the point in our studies through the book of Acts at which Paul's epistle to the Galatians was written. It was written after his first missionary journey, and before his second, sometime between A.D. 48 and the mid-50s. It's addressed to the churches of Galatia, those churches that Paul established on his journey up through there. Now, I want you to imagine yourself as a new Jewish believer in one of these cities. You heard Paul visit your city and believed what he told you, that Jesus paid for your sins on the cross and rose again. And now by believing, trusting only in what he did for your salvation, you're going to heaven. Not because of any good work on your part, but just because you trust Jesus. Of course, you want to tell all your friends about what Jesus has done for you and how you now know you're going to heaven. But when you tell them, they laugh at you, particularly the other Jews. You're telling them that the law keeping that you were doing before and that they're now doing was pointless and you could never have gotten to heaven that way and now because you say you believe in a man that was executed by the romans as a criminal you're now you don't have to keep the law anymore your friends think you're crazy they think you're saying that the law is worthless that law that jehovah gave to moses on mount sinai you can't throw that out that's too easy of a way to get to heaven and then on top of everything else To say that a man condemned and executed by the religious leaders of Israel was the Messiah is just unbelievable. You're cast out of the synagogue. You lose many friends, maybe even lose your job. You accept this because Jesus told you that you would would suffer persecution. And so instead of going to the synagogue, you start meeting with other believers who have trusted Christ as well. So the devil's use of persecution didn't succeed in stumbling you. So he tries another approach. 
in this new church, a teacher has been coming who is teaching something apparently a little different from what you believe. And in fact, what he's saying sounds like it might be okay. Here's what he says. Yes, Jesus was the Messiah and you do need to believe in him to go to heaven. But that's not enough. You also need to keep the law. You see, the law was given by God. So of course he wants you to keep it. Why would he all of a sudden do away with it? And then he attacks Paul, the one who led you to the Lord, by saying, the problem is that Paul is not really an apostle like Peter and the others in Jerusalem. He wasn't even one of the original 12. He's a self-appointed Johnny-come-lately who is preaching a message that people want to hear. How ridiculous. That's easy believism. In fact, based on his message, you can now live however you want to. As you listen to him teach, it sort of sounds right. It appeals to the flesh. Hey, maybe I'm not that bad after all. Maybe I can do something to help my standing before God. So already in the early church, we have a crisis. If this teaching spreads, you'll have real Christians put on the shelf trying to keep the law and you'll have the unsaved believing a false gospel. What we need is a clear statement from God to straighten things out. So one day when Paul sat down to write a letter to these new troubled believers, at the same time, God sat down with him and wrote the letter with him. What wrote the letter through him and it's called the epistle to the Galatians. <clears throat> the whole, uh, the big doctrinal issue in Galatians is the idea of faith plus works. And it's not an issue that was simply a problem back then. Think about the Reformation in the 1500s. The uh, believers saying that the gospel was by faith alone. That's the way that you're saved. Nowadays, Christian cults, quote Christian, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Catholics, they all say the same thing. They say that you need to believe in Jesus, but you need something else besides him. Thank God the truth is in his word now. But it wasn't at the time that Paul wrote this, but let's go ahead and look at his letter. So please turn to Galatians chapter 1. Now, as far as outline, the letter divides down into about three easy sections. The first section, which is roughly the first verse through chapter 2, verse 18, Paul defends himself. In the second, chapter 2, verse 19 through about 5, 1, he defends his message the gospel of uh, faith in Christ plus nothing else. And in the third section, chapter 5, verse 2, about to the end of the book, contains practical teaching based on the previous doctrinal section. So let's take a look now at the first section. Read with me uh, Paul's greeting and notice that in it, Paul is defending himself and his message already. So we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace 
from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you see, Paul gets three words out of his mouth and then he says he was commissioned by God. This is not just some message of his. And then down in verse four, he stresses his message that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that was sufficient. And this is not a light problem. He says, uh, read with me also verse eight of chapter one. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let his soul go to hell. Let him be damned. And Paul says this twice. He says it again in the second verse. This issue is that important. Then in verse 11, he says that his message is not according to man, but in verse 12, it was revealed to him by God. Now, if the Judaizers, those teachers that are coming into the Galatian assembly, are going to talk about law keeping, well, Paul has been there before them. In verses 13 and 14, he says that his previous zeal as a law keeper puts to shame his detractors, but it was wrong. And then in verse 15, he says that he was called to preach this message before he was born. This is not something that he decided on his own to do, but God called him. And then for three years, he consulted no one but God. He didn't go up and uh, talk with the uh, other disciples and get a training on what the gospel is, but he was alone with God for three years. So after that long, his message is going to be set in stone. It has, it's, you can't change it after that. He's been preaching it for too long. And then, after those three years, in verses 18 through 24, he goes up to see the apostles. And he checks in with them. He doesn't see them for very long, but for, he sees them for 15 days, but they don't change a thing that he's been saying. Nothing has changed. They just praise God. So, it's what they were preaching. And notice in verse 20, uh, read that with me, please. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. He's stressing here the uh, importance of what he's saying and, and how it's true. He never uses this kind of language anywhere else. And then, after 14 years, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he goes up to Jerusalem with the specific intention of comparing notes with the apostles. Notice in verse 2, he says that I went up by revelation and communicated to them, that's the apostles, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So the point of his going up is to show them what he's been teaching. And like I said, now it's been 14 years. So whatever he's been preaching is that. So he talks to them. The message was the subject of conversation as we see. After it's all said and done, they look at the message. And what do they say? Let's take a look at it. Verse 10. They desired only that we should remember the poor, 
the very thing which I also was eager to do. So what are they changing in his message here? Is there anything that he's been saying wrong? No, it's, it's something completely removed from his message. They just say, make sure you remember the poor. We don't, we don't have anything wrong with what you've been teaching all this time. It's right. Make sure you remember the poor. And Paul says, hey, I was going to do it anyway. So what he's been teaching is exactly right. Now, then in chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, concern a well-known confrontation between Paul and Peter at Antioch. We looked at this before, I remember. Basically what happened is that Peter uh, at Antioch was eating with the Gentiles in the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus. And then some Jews from come down from James, from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, Peter kind of pulls back from the Gentiles and he doesn't, doesn't want to eat with them anymore. And Paul stands up and rebukes him about his behavior because he's showing that, well, maybe he does need to keep the law. Maybe he really shouldn't have been eating with the Gentiles. And so this uh, section actually serves two purposes. <clears throat> First, we see that Paul is not some second-rate apostle. If he's going to rebuke Peter, the one who gave the message at Pentecost that so many were saved, Paul is rebuking this man. So he's not second-rate to him. And secondly, this um, section ends Paul's defense of himself, the first section that we were talking about, and begins Paul's defense of his message of faith in Jesus Christ alone plus nothing else. Because that's what Peter's actions were denying. <clears throat> so he's starting, starting here, he gives 20 different arguments explaining why law-keeping cannot be mixed with faith. Now's the time to take out your handout. And we don't have time to read all the verses together. So I'll tell you if we're going to look at a verse, I'll make it clear. Otherwise, I'll just go point by point and talk about it. So point number one, chapter two, verse 16 at the end. We'll read this one together. Just the very last phrase. He says, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It's the first reason why law keeping can't be mixed with faith. We can't keep the law. Point number two. <clears throat> Peter was eating with the Gentiles before by faith because he, knows, he knew that he could. And then he's not eating the next because he's trying to keep the law. So he ends up as a hypocrite. Next point, verse 19. I died in Christ. And that's a very real thing. I died in Christ. And therefore, my connection with the law is broken. I have nothing to do with it anymore. Point number four, let's read together verse 20 of chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Key word in that verse there is faith. We were saved by faith and now we live 
by faith. Point number five, verse 21. If we keep the law, we necessarily uh, can't have the grace of God involved with that because the grace of God involves giving me something that I don't deserve, whereas if you keep the law, it's all about me. It has nothing to do with God's grace. Also in verse 21, point number six. If I need to keep the law, if there's something else that I have to do, Jesus wasted his time dying on the cross. Point number seven. Now chapter three, verse two can't receive the holy spirit by law keeping but when we trust jesus by simple faith he gives us the holy spirit number eight verse four the the these believers up in galatia have been persecuted because they've been saying that they don't need to keep the law anymore was that all pointless should they really all this time really have been keeping the law Verse, uh, uh, point number nine, verse five. You can't work miracles by law keeping. And then point number 10, he has his first argument from scripture. He looks back at the Old Testament to show that even back then, you know what? You were justified by faith. Let's read verse six of chapter three. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The only time in the entire Old Testament where God uh, reckons someone to be righteous. The only time, and it was by faith, because Abraham believed God. Next, verses 7 through 9, the blessing of God comes only through faith. There's no blessing attached to law-keeping. In fact, in verse 10, according to Deuteronomy, the law brings a curse. Verse 11, point number 13. In Habakkuk, it says, uh, Habakkuk says that the just shall live by faith. There's no mention of law-keeping there. Not by their good works. Point 14, verse 12 from Leviticus now. If you keep the law, you must do the whole thing. Stands or falls as a whole. You either do it or you don't do it. It's pass-fail. This isn't a letter grade. Point 15, verses 13 and 14. Whereas the law brings a curse, as we saw, faith in Christ removes that curse. Point 16. Verses 15 through 18. The covenant that God made with Abraham based on faith was made 430 years before the law was given to Moses. So the law can't alter that. It was based upon faith Now, it, with all this talk about the law, we're not saying that the law is bad or useless. No, it was given by God. But it was intended 
as a signpost. It wasn't intended to be the way to get to God. It was intended to point you to faith in Christ. Point 18, verses 26 through 29. All the blessings that we have were in Christ, were sons of God, only come through faith. Whereas, point 19, verses, uh, chapter 4 now, verses 1 through 7, instead of sons by faith, under the law, you're the equivalent of a slave. Now Paul has a parenthesis in verses 8 through 20. And it's a personal appeal from the heart. It's like he's got to say something to them directly. And we're going to read some of this. Listen to his deep care and concern for these believers. We'll start in verse 11. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all, stressing that he's not offended. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Wow, that was their relationship with him before. What then was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And now the Judaizers have come along. They're pointing at Paul saying that he's uh, teaching them something that's wrong. And he says in verse 16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I, because I tell you the truth? And I points the finger at the Judaizers and he says, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous and a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. So after this, Paul returns to his arguments in Verses eight through in verses uh, twenty-one through thirty. The last and final point. He gives um, an allegory. He talks about an Old Testament story. Back in Genesis, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael, a, a son of the flesh, who represents in this allegory the law, and Isaac, who was a son of promise, who represents faith. And at Isaac's birthday party, you may remember, Ishmael was persecuting him. Just like the, those who are of the law persecute those who are of faith. What's the solution now to this problem? Read with me verse 30 of chapter 4. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The law has to go. You must throw out the law as a means of getting saved because faith and works are incompatible. And that's Paul's last argument 
And he transitions to his practical section now, the last section that we talked about, in verses 31 of chapter 4 and chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read those as well. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We're free. We're done with the law. And the practical section now is based off that uh, end result. Now, after a little more discussion of law-keeping versus faith, in chapter 5, he addresses the Judaizers uh, who were saying that, well, you know, hey, we can live it up. We can sin all we want to because we're not under law. Well, read with me verse 13. For you, brethren have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So there's the answer. And the bottom line though is, I love this. In verse uh, 14, he sa- it turns out that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he changes our desires. And now, instead of trying to keep the law, we end up, fulfilling the law we end up the law describes someone who is pleasing to god the one who wants to please god well you know what the holy spirit changes us so that instead of trying to please god and trying to do the right thing we want to please god and so we do now in this final practical section paul has by no means uh ended with his uh subject of law and faith but he changes the term slightly because he's talking practically now. And he, uh, we talk about the practical outworking of those. Law now becomes flesh. Because if I'm trying to keep the law, I don't get any help. It's all me. Um, if God were to give me any help, it wouldn't be keeping the law. It, it's not really, it's not the same thing. So, it's me. I have to do it by myself. Then faith becomes spirit. Because when we believe in the Lord Jesus and trust Him, we receive the Holy Spirit and He changes our desires. So now, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. So therefore, it's now flesh and spirit in this section. So let's read chapter 5, verse 17 first. For the flesh, there's that, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Just like in the allegory that we were seeing back in chapter 4. Spirit and flesh are incompatible. Now let's look at chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, 
dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we're on our own, our flesh, trying to keep the law, what ends up coming out? A bunch of junk. We're not going to get to heaven that way. Now, let's read verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. When we were trying to keep the law, it was the works of the flesh. You're out there working as hard as you can, and you end up coming with a big negative. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, it's just going to happen. Our neighbor's plum tree doesn't sit out there straining to make those plums come out on the branches. God works it, and it just comes out. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're, we're going to be pleasing to God, and we're going to exemplify the fruits of the Spirit. Now, let's, uh, there's some more practical teaching, and then let's look at chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Same thing here. When you're working in the flesh by yourself, corruption. But when you have the Spirit of God in you, everlasting life. So then Paul has his closing remarks. And what's his conclusion then? After all is said and done, after we've seen, we looked at faith and works, let's read his conclusion. Chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. After we've looked at the works of the flesh, there's nothing in me to brag about. I can be proud of nothing in and of myself. There's only one work worth boasting about. And that is that Jesus, God the Son, died for sinners. And now because of what he did, I'm finished with the law. Not circumcision nor uncircumcision has any bearing upon me anymore. I'm on an entirely new plane. I'm a new creation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is that 
it's only by faith in you that we can be saved. Thank you that it is only by faith, Lord, because if it were anything else, we would all be going to hell. Thank you that you paid for everything and that now we please you, Lord, because we want to. Lord, it's so wonderful. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.